have to add him into the car. Jeff Ritzman. Smooth, Vanny. Really smooth. <laughs> Mr. Ritzman. Oh, good evening. How are you? Good. How are you? You're oh. on live Project Archivist Jeff with Lobo and Rojan. There is no live. We pre-record everything. We were, we were recording oh. the show when you called. Oh, well, then I got Crap. a surprise for you, gentlemen, because you're on live with Paratopia. Get out of here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, okay. See. <laughs> Wait a minute. How does this work? I have no idea. My head just fell off. Oh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Jeff and I are playing a little game for this week's Paratopia called, Hey, who's online? Let's call them. And you guys are known as show. Paratopia Russian Roulette. That's right. <laughs> Chat Roulette. Chat Roulette. Oh, you oh mean masturbation God. game? Uh, Wait a minute. Let me fire up the camera here. Should I be taking something off or what? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so, uh, what's going on in the world of Project Archivist, gentlemen? Or we just started doing the opening for the next show. <laughs> oh, that sucks, because now you're the guest on Paratopia, so that's going to have to wait. Oh, no, oh. part of this is going to go into our show. <laughs> we're going to have a mutually shared show this week. It's hilarious. We are the laziest bastards in the world. <laughs> as far back as educated men have recorded their history, veils have been lowered to disclose a vast new reality, rents in the fabric of man's awareness. And somewhere in the endless search of the curious mind lies the next vision, the next key to his infinite capacity. Welcome back to Project Archivist, everybody. This is kind of funny. We were actually going to sit down and record a different show tonight, and we got the intro all up and going. And then Jeff Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney decided to pop into Skype and hijack our show and put us on their show for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> it was cool. And it was quite literally how it went down. So the show that we were going to give you guys this week was going to be a ramble cast. But fortunately, we um, did an interview with Mr. Ted Rowe a couple of days ago, which is what we're going to give you guys instead tonight. I was going to hold it off and wait and give you that show a little bit later on in the week or whatever after Easter was over with. But it looks like um, fate is pushing us in the direction to release this show now. This is um, what the show was supposed to be about was shamanism. Ted Rowe is um, he's head of NARCAP and we're going to explain a little bit about what that is in the episode. But he's also very deeply into shamanism. And we were going to have him on the show to talk about what shamanism is, what it means to be a shaman. And it was it's kind of weird because I was trying to get a straight answer out of him, say, what is this? And, you know, it's like you said, I, I don't think there quite is an answer for it. It's still a good show, but this is this is very different even for something that we've done. This is going to be one of those episodes where you're either going to draw into it or you're going to fall out of it. What's also strange is that we both have our little moments here on this episode where we open up and we put things about ourselves out there that we normally don't do. Um, and don't expect us to do this very often. <laughs> no. no. Uh, one-on-one is one thing, but I mean, I love our fans to death, but... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm raw during the show. 
this is an episode that we I, I don't think we'll be doing something like this very often at all. But we left it in here. We didn't uh, we didn't add any of the stuff out. We just kind of roll with it and threw it out there for what it is. If you want to send an email, projectarchivist at gmail.com. I'll say one thing before we end this before we end this episode. A lot of the stuff that Ted talks about in here are ways that I didn't even realize that I live my life and actually how we even run this podcast. This podcast mm-hmm. just kind of happens and we just let it go and we let it take care of itself. And Ted talks about that way of life in this interview. Today we have with us Mr. Ted Rowe, and we've been chopping at the bit to try to get Ted on the show since the show first started, I think, and we've always just not crossed paths properly or anything. Before the show started. (laughs) Yeah, actually, yeah, it's just true. Ted was a big topic of ours before we actually got the ball up and running here. Ted is a man of many hats, but we're going to have him here tonight to talk to us about shamanism, what it means to be a shaman, what a shaman is, differences in shamanic culture, all of these things. And at this is a point where I usually say, Ted, are you out there? Aloha. I'm out here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I was I was born and raised in Montana and was kind of exposed to um, certain religious ideas, native native ideas. We had four kids in my class named Mike Gopher, all members of the Gopher clan, uh, Assiniboine, Rocky Boy, wow. uh, native people. And so it was around us a bit, along with a heavy Christian element, and I found that, that the two were really incompatible, didn't understand why. Um, so anyway, I was born and raised in Montana, got involved with martial arts in a big way, and uh, trained like a maniac, Been a, a, a few, uh, I was a competitive swimmer and became a, a freediver, and now I teach freediving in Hawaii. I'm the executive director of NARCAP.org and uh, do assist in uh, administrating that project. So that's kind of a pocket issue of relevance, I guess, relevant stuff. Well, what is NARCAP? Well, because we're going we're gonna to have you back on here at some point to talk about NARCAP. Tell everybody well, what NARCAP is as well. Sure. Well, NARCAP is an acronym, National Aviation Reporting Center on Anomalous Phenomena. It was founded by Dr. Richard Haynes and myself in 2000. We count Dr. Jacques Lee and a number of others on our staff, and we conduct aviation safety-related studies of pilot encounters with unidentified aerial phenomena. We've had some very interesting studies come out of all of that. Uh, we've signed an official research agreement with the government of Chile uh, and participated in a number of issues, uh, some better known than others, uh, behind the scenes, some of it with, with the U.S. government. That will be a show that we will be following up on with you. So Absolutely. <laughs> that'll give people a taste of, 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 of what's coming, what's to come. But sure, happy. Tonight happy to we're going to talk to you about shamanism. When I, w- I was talking to you off the air when I bring up shamanism to people, a lot of people, the first thing they think of is the tribal uh, Native American elder that uh, that is the person that heals the tribe and does all the spiritual matters. And when I try to say, well, that's not quite what it is, I always fall my, find myself falling short of being able to describe what a shaman actually is, which got me to thinking, I really don't know what a shaman is, and I don't really entirely know the difference between a medicine man and a shaman. Um, sure. So... Let's start there. What is the difference between a medicine man and a shaman? Are they one and the same, or are they different? Well, I, I think the real problem is the term itself, shaman. It's a Tungus Mongolian term adopted by 
anthropolo the anthropological community to describe mediators uh, between a tribe and of uh, the, the spirit world, and uh, uh, and that's it's sort of a catch-all phrase that isn't really terribly accurate. In my experience, most Native American practitioners do not like to be referred to as shaman. Um, they they're medicine people. It's, it's, it's an unusual term. It, uh, and I, I just don't think it serves very well. Uh, they like to, we all like to think that, that these native peoples are doing the same thing and arriving arising out of the same motivations, but they aren't in many instances doing that. You, you can't say with confidence that, that what a, what an African person or a, an Australian clever man is doing is at all related to what a, a native American medicine person is doing. Or even amongst Native American medicine people, they have very different modalities and approaches to what they do. So, I guess the main thing to understand about a shaman is that it really isn't—it's a, a vague term, and it doesn't really serve the conversation too well. But really, I think—I think what it conjures in people is this idea of a person who is spiritually actualized, and that person has raised their awareness to the point where they're aware of more in their environment than other people around them. And with that comes an understanding of things that's a little different than the common perspective. I hope that helps. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a tricky term. You know? So it makes sense. They're basic, so they're basically not the same at all, though, whereas a medicine man is more there to heal the tribe for medicinal purposes and to guide some spiritual guidance in those areas, whereas a shamanism is, is more of a person that sees the world in a different perspective and pertaining to themselves within the world. Am I, am I going on the right path with that? Well, you know, l l let's work with this for just a moment more. The, um, in the Tungus tradition, the Mongolian tradition, the, the, the shaman was a, 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 a spirit mediator. Uh, a spirit lawyer, you know, who would mm -hmm. go in um, and 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 on on behalf of the tribe uh, manage issues with the spirit world, uh, whatever those things were, and that's not necessarily the same modality that a Native American person would use. And when I say the spirit world, what am I talking about? Because their view of a spirit world might be a bit different than ours or a, a Native Americans. Um, but here's another example: um, the San Bushmen. Uh, they're they're uh, a tribe of Bushmen that's pretty much gone extinct at this point in South Africa. Fifty percent of the men and about thirty percent of the women were shamanic practitioners, and they did their shamanic practice as a group, um, dancing and chanting. And that's why in a lot of villages in Africa and, and in South America too, there's a dancing ground um, because that's where they did group work as shaman versus a single focal medicine person that everybody deferred to as the pinnacle of spiritual actualization inside of their clan or something. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is where it comes back to this idea that, you know, we all kind of have a responsibility to move towards actualization. And when, when our awareness rises, we all become, those of us who are doing the work tend to become aware of the same things, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, so it, you have this kind of uh, a struggle between a modern term and and trying to understand an age-old lifestyle uh, of a people that you don't really know anything about. Um, okay. So I, I think if if you take shamanism in the modern context, you know, you look at it in the modern term, um, then uh, and then as as it's practiced today, it's separated out from the way the native people have done it years ago. You're probably better off. Okay. Okay. Well, are there are there different forms of shamanism, or is it generally just one form of belief? Is it like a Christian religion where you have different? You have say, okay, I'm a Christian, but there are different statures and things within that. Are there different branches of shamanism, or is it all well, looked at as one global thing? 
Well, you know, the way the way in the modern age, the way it seems to be breaking down is is people are going about offering the service of shaman, uh, sometimes deservedly, sometimes not, uh, claiming to represent different lineages. Some have teachings, some don't. There are some good schools, I suppose, or some, some, some good shaman out there that if you were fortunate enough to be near, you could understand what they're doing. Um, a lot of them do follow sort of a native style or a naturalist approach, and, and it involves uh, journeying. For example, they'll, they'll ride a drumbeat and do an inner journey and uh, go to resolve information, seek guidance from spirit guides, as they refer to them, intelligences that, that they code as being spirits of animals, perhaps, or spirits of previous shaman. Uh, but it's basically information moving to them if they go into this trance state working with the drum. So there's there's a uh, that there's that way of doing it there. Uh, but the thing to understand really is that the root of shamanic practices is very deep, but it's common, and you'd be surprised to think of certain things as shamanic practices, but they are things like yoga, for example, martial arts is practiced practiced by Taoist or Japanese martial artists, particularly when they refer when they're martial arts that end in the phrase do. That mm-hmm. refer to a, a Buddhist Wando, way, yeah, exactly. It refers to a Buddhist way, which or a Taoist actually it refers to a Taoist root, which is uh, a naturalist, a naturist connection to reality. So there's actually there are a lot of different ways to go at shamanism. It, it, uh, if, if you consider yoga a shamanic practice, well, how many schools of yoga are there? You know, Oof, so a lot. <laughs> uh, I, I, I teach freediving as a shamanic practice. Uh, and, it, and it has all of the, the, the hallmarks of, of shamanic work that yoga and uh, martial arts and uh, other shamanic schools have, it, working with the breath and balance primarily. It brings the awareness into the present, and when awareness is focused in the present, stays there long enough, it expands. And, and in freediving, it's a very particular way that we go about it. You, back, you practically can't freedive unless you go into that altered state, which I find just really interesting. Yeah, you hear you talk know. of going into the altered state a lot in regards to shamanism. A lot of people, they get high, for lack of a better term, some of, you know, they get high for the most part to do this. But is this always something that's necessarily need to be done? Or is it something that a person can do within themselves without necessarily having to, um, what's the root that I'm thinking of that everybody drinks? I can't remember. Um, ayahuasca. Probably. Ayahuasca. That's the one that I'm thinking sure. of. Is this something sure. that you can, you, do you necessarily have to be somebody that goes out and uses ayahuasca to get to these states or is this something you can work on on yourself to get there? Well, you know, that's interesting because, you know, your last question was about schools of shamanism and you could divide shamanism another way and say whether it's a, a school that's assisted by the use of what, what are known as entheogens. Mm-hmm. which are generally DMT-bearing chemistry, or whether they do it without. And some would say you can't do it using antheogens. Some would say you can't do it without using antheogens. I avoid the extremes. I would say that certain people would benefit more quickly through antheogen use or uh, would not benefit at all by antheogen use. So you could identify them and, and, and kind of steer them in a, in a direction that would work for them in their inquiry on their quest. So the uh, antheogen use has, ha, has a value, and, and with certain people, it, it really is the key that opens the door. And, and the, trick, the trick to it is to understand that it isn't necessary. Once, once you've worked with it as an ally, it becomes, you, you understand how to go there without it. So it just works as a mediator to facilitate something in the beginning, but after that, there's not as much need to go there because you're you're talking in a spiritual sense as to where you've you've found the way to get to where you need to go. Well, yes, that's true. And at the same time, though, if if you know if there's a a real need or you really want to be sure, again, you can go you can return to the modality. 
you know, mm-hmm. and eat your mushroom or, or take your antigen. Let's talk a little bit about how you actually got into this, because you sound like you come from a background of mixed religions and so forth. Yes. How did you um, how did you come to the term of saying, OK, I need, this is something that I want to forsake? Did you did you have to go through a rite of passage or something to get to where you needed to go? Or did, did, was this something you just went out and bought a book and found out about? Or was this something you self-learned on your own? Oh, well, you know, that, that's a complex question. Mo, mo, it's really interesting when you look at your life, you know, and you look forward or you look at the present, it seems like you're on a convoluted road. But when you look behind you, you see the straight path with signposts all over it. The kind of, you know, the, the, <laughs> I, I can you, relate. <laughs> it showed you exactly how you got there, you know, and, and, and with no gaps, you know. And so when I look back, I can say, well, geez, there was just this highway that just led me right to it. But it really wasn't the case. Uh, what happened, you know, I mean, we all seek. And we're trying to understand, and we keep hearing these stories about people with abilities that can see things and do things that seem to seem to be more aware than us. Well, the yogic masters and the kung fu masters and the uh, Native American medicine people and the Aboriginal Australian clever men and 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 others. You know, we're aware of these guys, and we we see them as separate from ourselves. So I found myself a, a seeker. You know, uh, I was trying to get it. I didn't see it at first in Christianity, and was rather dismissive about it all, probably prematurely. And at the same time, a couple of things were happening to me that were a bit on the fantastic side um, that I, I really couldn't explain that involved interactions with seem, which, what seemed like non-human intelligences that uh, I, I had UFO experiences of myself and my family was what it really added up to, whatever those things are, and I don't know what they are. Uh, and so, so I kept looking for trying to find a spiritual worldview that kind of fit with my own life, you know, with what my experience in life really was. And I, I kept questing. I, I dug into the martial arts deeply because they uh, they offered the perspectives from the Taoist and Buddhist of, of self-actualization. But I didn't understand what that means, what is self-actualization. And, and, and so I kept pushing uh, through martial arts training and through, uh, uh, through meditations and, and through studies and, and through uh, scholarly research, just looking at what people had to stay, looking at artists like Alex Gray. For example, who's, who's quite an expert on shamanic journeying, uh, people like Stanislav Grof, oh, Graham Hancock, and others who who looked into these things and, and offer a perspective that's helpful. Because really, in our in the West, we don't have a tradition. You know, there's no tradition of of, of seeking and finding. You know, it's either you're either a Christian or you're just an oddball. But whatever you are, you're mainly a consumer and just get to work. You know. So in the end, I, I came to it really through reading. Dale Graff's book, Tracks in the Psychic Wilderness. And and what happened was uh, I, I, I was uh, trying to understand these UFO experiences and I was trying to understand native practices um, and I was dabbling with entheogens a little bit, uh, trying to understand those. I read Graff's book on, on ESP. It's called Tracks in the Psychic Wilderness and realized that he, they worked with four basic principles of ESP, telepathy, remote viewing, lucid and precognitive dreaming, and synchronicities. Now, synchronicities are very interesting because that, that's how you kind of call things into reality and how, how you can do it through your relationship between your conscious mind and, and will, and things will happen. You can code them to, to occur in reality. Carl Jung talked about this a little bit in his book, Synchronicity. And uh, at that point, I started realizing that, you know, there's, there's a common root to all these religious beliefs it goes back to trying to control these abilities, these perceptions that, that people are capable of doing. And mm-hmm. that's where the religious structures came in, and, you know, to sort of funnel who could do it and who couldn't, and to keep people in the dark and keep the priests 
uh, empowered and this kind of stuff. But it, but but that's that was the common root was understanding that, that that what you know primitive humans got it that certain events seemed to be related by meaning rather than by cause, and that if they could sit and focus, somehow something magical would happen around something they needed. That seems um, to be a common belief in the practitioner of magic as well from the people that I've talked to that are that are quote unquote magic users is that, uh, like chaos magic, I believe works that way. You take, you take something, you write down what you want, you take all the vowels out of it, you mix the letters up and then you do something to charge it and you make a symbol sigil. out of that. Yeah. Sigil. Correct. And then uh, you charge that. And then after you've charged it in some way, shape or form, there's various ways to do it. Then you destroy that completely and you forget about it. And I believe the concept is that somewhere in your subconscious, something that you do will make that happen. Uh-huh. Um, I've seen that happen through like everybody I talk to, uh, practitioners of different kinds of magic. That always seems to come up in the background. That always seems to come up. Uh, it's it, it, Rojan. It's a common root, and and it's what the Wiccans are doing when they cast spells. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're what they're doing is charging reality with a synchronicity. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of experience with synchronicity and lucid dreaming myself, so I can gravitate to what you're saying. It's. Um, uh, I liken it to what you said earlier about you look back in your life and you, you, you think during your following your life it's chaotic and you have no idea where you're going, yet you look back and you see where you've made the choices and the decisions that you've made that have led you to where you are. Whereas in my life, I run across situations that happen over and over and over again until I make a conscious decision to act on that situation. And uh-huh. then afterwards, it's like, all right, this is the way I was supposed to go. So I right. can relate to some of that. And now that you put it in those terms, I, I understand a little bit more. <laughs> well, and, and, and here's what and, and finally what happened to me was that I took freediving training and, and, and freediving, as I mentioned before, creates an altered state. And that altered state turns out to be the key state as near as I can tell. What happens? What, what is the primary source of stress in, the, in your life that triggers your ego to act? I mean, I mean, the, the primary symptom, physical symptom that, that triggers your ego to go to work. Um, it, it's an elevated heart rate. So you get a little, st- that's what stress you go, oh my God, I got to get this taken care of. You know, well, what happened was you just had a little micro spike in blood pressure there. Mm-hmm. Maybe not so micro, you know what I mean? Yeah, and so your blood pressure creates cool too. Yeah, you, you, so your blood pressure creeped on you, you know, and, and now you're up and, and your ego's working away. It's got to solve a problem. It's clicking away and your body's making sure it's got oxygen in case it needs to go do something. And, you know, and, and you're on the alert, right? Uh, but you're not really alert. What you're doing is you're, you're inwardly trying, you're, you're inwardly spinning on a hamster wheel, right? <laughs> I can relate try, to that too for my days of meditation. Of yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And you're solving, you're trying to solve problems and stuff that really don't deserve the time and energy you're giving them. They, they don't need that much time. You know, even the samurai used to have a saying, all decisions should be made in the space of seven breaths. You know, awesome. that's you know? awesome. So, so that idea that you don't waste time with your ego so that your awareness is open, your consciousness is up. Now, let me get back to free diving. What happens is that there's an altered state. We induce the mammalian diving reflex. Mm-hmm. And I do this with my students. I teach them how to do it. It has three characteristics. The, the primary characteristic is bradycardia, where, where your heart rate slows down. Mm-hmm. And it can drop to 20 beats per minute. It can drop to one beat per minute. Free That's divers awesome. are amazing, you know, in, in, in this ability to work with their heart rate. And then you have a peripheral vasoconstriction and you have a blood shunt. Um, and it just so happens that, that the rest of the physics of freediving make, 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 even though your heart isn't hardly beating at all, the, the, the hydrostatic pressure of the water is forcing the gases from your blood into your tissues. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're fully conscious. And yet if you were in a, in a emergency room, they'd be calling a crash cart. 
Hmm. So, so what happens is you don't have any blood pressure to speak of. So there's no blood pressure spike. And the first thing that happens is your consciousness just expands. It just explodes. Your awareness just goes right out. You come right up into the moment. I liken it to listening intently and not thinking about what you're listening to. Mm, yeah. your, your awareness is way up on the edge of reality as it's unfolding in the now, in this moment now. And you're just, you know, just what, what, you know, one fifteenth of a second in front of my voice, reality is unfolding, you know, as I'm talking here. And, and so you want to be in that little zone listening very intently. And that's the first level of, of awakening your awareness is coming to that place. And when you can come to that place, then the rest of the journey starts to make sense. And you start staying in that place and your awareness rises and your ego quiets and you start seeing around you and you start noticing what you didn't notice before. And eventually you live in a world that not many people around you live in. They don't see what you see because you're more aware than they are. You're just wired higher than they are. It's and fascinating. It, it, and, and when that happens, remarkable things start to happen. You realize you're not alone in this, that there are other humans that are doing this too. And for example, I was walking down a very busy tourist-filled street in Kona uh, la uh, last summer. And there was a group of people on the other side of the street walking my way. And I was, I was very aware and present. And I looked at this group and out of it came a pair of very clear eyes. Uh, looking back at me, it was a man. He was standing on. He was walking on the sort of the outside of the group and a little bit back from him. And he looked right at me and he put his hand in his heart and he bowed and then he continued on his way. I did the same thing right back to him and we went on our way. You recognize who's doing the work, uh, and part of uh, doing becoming this aware is shedding your baggage because that's what keeps your ego busy. You know, so so you want to drop your baggage. Uh, and and you learn how to do this, and it's it's not difficult. It just takes a little courage, and you got to be willing to cry a little. But but in the end, a little you cry more uh, than a little. <laughs> but yeah, well, but it, but in the but in the end, the the reward is well worth it. You know, you absolutely you get to live in the present, be in the present fully. And and now, for example, when I'm talking, like I'm talking right now, I'm not in the present. I'm I'm lagging a little bit. I I can be I can be euphoric and very happy about it, but it's not the same as the present which is a Zen state, in my opinion. It's, you know, you, it's, it's beyond articulation. I can't speak of it. No, you so, don't to, trust me, you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. reminds me of something that happened to me a while ago. I was, I was, when I was on Paratopia, it was something, I'm not sure if I brought it up or not. I don't think I did. Um, and this is one of those weird things that has happened to me that I don't talk about very often because it's a fairly difficult thing to, to explain. Um, well, first off, what you've just said, I, I've had very similar experiences that I've been around my wife and I've had very similar experiences like that mm -hmm. to where um, I'm a little bit more aware of, for, for lack of a but I don't want to say psychic because that all right. seems kind of hogwashish to me, but I've been mm -hmm. in situations where I've seemed more aware of what's going around me, like moments of clarity. And I, I'll get that way with my wife every once in a while and I get goosebumps on me. It's a very, it's an instantaneous, very quickly happening thing that just like a snap of a finger as it happens. And for lack of a better term, it's a clarity to where I'm more aware of everything that's happening to me. And it comes and it goes very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, it, sometimes it's uncomfortable in the way that it happens. It's very difficult to explain to somebody. I think you understand where I'm coming from, though. But I'll do it and my wife will actually freak out a little bit. She, she doesn't like it when I do it because she doesn't quite understand it. And then my lack of ability to be able to explain it to her 
also kind of freaks her out. So it's one of those things that me and her just don't really talk about a lot. But sure, I don't know if that makes sense to anybody listening to the show or to you. <laughs> oh, surely, <laughs> oh, surely it does. What, what you um, just explained to me makes it a little bit more seem a little bit more uh, sensical to me. But back to what happened to me a few years ago. I was outside of my house and the kids were with me, and we had just got back from grocery shopping. So I'm going to tell you this story, and maybe you can make some sense of it. Sure. We were unloading the groceries and something very much, it felt like, I, I don't know how, it was like a reality shift of some kind or another where for, it felt like it was forever and it was extremely uncomfortable and it hasn't happened again, thank God, because it was really hard for me. It was really hard for me to put into words and describe what it was like. But for a span of, I would say a few, it felt like forever, but it, it could only have been a couple of seconds, but it felt like very much a precognitive kind of thing where it was just like I sat there and I could sense what was going to happen in reality before it would happen. I would look up and I'd be like, a red car is going to pull around the corner and a red car would pull around the corner. A bird is going to mm-hmm. land on that twig over there and a bird would land on the twig over there. The front door is going to get caught in the wind. It's going to blow. And it was this stuff was coming at me so quickly and so rapidly. I was actually having a hard time trying to process it. Actually, I'm getting a little giddy right now. I, I, my, I'm getting a little fluttery in my throat. It's, hard, it's, it's very hard for me to talk about because mm-hmm. it's one of those things that's so weird to explain to people that when you do, they just look at me like I'm nuts. So I don't explain it. But um, And the kids were coming outside and like, Dad, you know, they were asking me questions. And I was just sitting there staring off into space. I must have looked like I was tripping on LSD. And I'm looking around and I'm looking at my kids and, you know, I knew what they were asking me before they would ask me. All of this stuff was flooding out to me incredibly fast. And, and then just as quickly as it came, it had passed. For, but for that brief instant, it was like I was watching a movie of what was going to happen before it actually happened. I would, I would know it was going to happen, and then it would happen. And it was happening uh, all over the place so quickly, it was almost difficult for me to process. Sure. And it really flipped me out because this is going to sound strange also, but for that brief instant, it felt like I had no control over my life, that everything that was happening was happening regardless of what I was going to, it was like, it was history that was pre-written that I was living through. If, if that makes any sense to you mm. as well. And it was mm-hmm. very, it was very odd. It was like for, for within this span, it was, it was amazing how fast my brain was trying to process the information and it was processing information. It was like, none of the stuff that's happening right now, you have any control over. You're on a ride, enjoy the ride, you know, just go with it, roll, roll with the ride as it happens. And it was very, very weird. And then it, just as quickly as it had came, it had passed. And it, I was I, I, like, I had to sit down. My heart was racing. Um, I, again, just thinking about it, I'm getting kind of flustered right now. Over the years, I've done a lot of experimenting with lucid dreaming and things like that. So I kind of tied it to something like that. I just kind of threw it off as a one-off as to like, I don't know, maybe it's a medication that I'm on. Maybe it's a fact that I have high blood pressure. I've never quite understood that one brief moment, and it really flipped me out because for that few seconds, my whole reality completely changed. My whole concept of what reality is, my whole concept of what am I going to do with my life changed, you know, because it was like I don't have control over my life. I'm just this whole I have control over my decisions. Fate is it was all it was instantly like an illusion or something. Um, I haven't pondered on it too much because I don't understand it, and it really freaks me out to put thought into it. Now, does any of what I just told you make any sense, or am I out of my mind? <laughs> yes. Well, you know, you know, I could come at you like a know-it-all, you know, and say, oh, I, that's this and that's that, and um, but that's not really serving you. Mm-hmm. I, I, but, but, but let's explore a couple of things. Um, uh, I got a. Are you familiar with heart math? No. They study the EM fields around the heart and the brain and how they interact. And out of that's come some understanding of uh, intuition 
which is kind of what you're talking about, um, sort of precognitive clarity. Yeah. And they, and they, they suggest that there's about a 15-second window where your body is aware of intuitive signals before your consciousness engages them. In other words, you can see about 15 seconds in, the, in front of the time wave. Yeah, it was. It wasn't um, even that. It's really. It wasn't even you know, that long. It was. It was so difficult to understand. Well, them. and but. and and then so so you you might you might have found yourself you know locked in some perspective that was allowing you to see things a little bit differently. I know as a martial artist, I, I um, you know, the, the practices, the commitment to what you do is total, and that's really the key when you're totally immersed in reality, perhaps in an action where you're balancing breath. And, and and physical body, okay, and, and where 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 it calls calls for total commitment of mind and, and 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 body and spirit, where you're just engaged fully. And I've had these moments where I knew what the guy was going to do and where he was going to go far in a, far ahead of where I should have known. Mm-hmm. Much to his, <laughs> much 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 to his disadvantage. Um, I, I I I could tell when things were going to occur. Uh, I could sense uh, intent. I could sense people. I could tell when I'm, for example, I, when I was in New York City, I could sense when I was being stalked by a mugger, okay, uh, when I was younger. When your awareness rises, things start to happen. And if you don't have a perspective prepared, um, it, it can be very destabilizing. So I always refer people back to the breath. I say, for example, in your case, you know, you're, you're feeling a little bit flustered right now. What you want to do is slow your breath down. You want to slow your heart rate down a little bit, calm your blood pressure. Call, calm the stress and center yourself so that you can be. Oh, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but it's but just what, a weird thing that I don't talk about very often at all. So r- right, right. But hope but, you're happy, listeners. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, th- 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 these things do happen, you know. And and my 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 take on it, though, again, it falls back to the shamanic root, which is the uh, it, it, it based on expanded awareness. And and you get there. There are all kinds of modalities to get there. And you can say you're doing all kinds of things. You're 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 communing with a raccoon spirit or whatever it is you're saying you're doing. Uh, but in the end, what you're really doing is these root practices, which Hal put off and Russ Tartan were looking at at Stanford Research Institute, the fundamental physics of how reality is and how our consciousness interacts with it. And really, and I think that pretty much everything humans have come up with as far as religion and everything else is an explanation, is an attempt to explain and control that those basic things. I think um, we see that happen in, in, in regular life more than more most people think. I think like police officers, it's how it's how police officers know when something strange is going on. I think it's how yeah. when a mother knows her daughter is pregnant without having to talk to her daughter when something's going on or when a, a wife knows her husband is cheating through intuitiveness. Or how, um, how a scientist knows which way to go in a path of research. You know, he's yeah. intuitively moved to look somewhere in particular. I think these kinds of things happen in life more common than most people think that they do. I don't think, uh, again, I, I, I shy away from calling it ESP, but I definitely think that there's something there within human consciousness as to how we all tie together. It's just a matter of how we go about tapping into it or, or how we naturally tap into it. I think some people can tap into things in different ways. Well, I think Jung's take on it was his definition of a synchronicity was the seemingly spontaneous transmission of relevant information. And, and whether that came to you via a lucid dream or what you thought was telepathy or what you thought was remote viewing or astral projection or what you thought was synchronistic, 
You know, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it was a spontaneous movement of information. So my point is when this consciousness expands, for example, in the freediving example I was giving earlier, when, you're, when your consciousness opens up like that, dog will hunt mm-hmm. and it will, it will go find you what it thinks you need. Yep, mm-hmm. and it'll bring it right and, and back it, to you. And, and it will give it to you even if you don't consciously ego-based think that you need it. That's why oftentimes you'll go through hell and you'll you'll be all emotional about it. I didn't want this and damn, I'm bitter and got you know and everything. And you look back later and go, wow, it's a good thing it happened that way. Yep. You know? Yeah, I do that a lot. Uh, and and because your ego is bitching on the one hand, it's not listening to what your conscious consciousness is telling you that here, this is good, this is for you. I went and got it. Here's your slipper. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, and and it'll do this for all manner of things. And, and I, I, I find a resonance, you guys, talking about your wives. Um, I had a partner for 20-some years um, that I was so close to. And when I look back on it now, a lot of the problems we had were based on the fact that we could read each other's minds. You know, we literally knew what each other was up to. I couldn't go buy her flowers, she, she, and, and she didn't have the ability to keep her mouth shut if she knew I was buying flowers. <laughs> I've been there. I, you I've, know what I've I mean? been there many, many times, and I've, I've learned to just accept that, and I think my wife has as well. Uh-huh. Um, you know, she, I, I do it more so with her than she does with me. But again, I hearken it back to, I think this is there a lot more common than people think it is. That's right. You're so. integrated. You've integrated with another conscience, consciousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and this is what we do, you know, when, when, when your ego drops and you don't have reasons not to integrate, consciousness integrates and it goes and seeks out other minds and they may be human minds. They may be animal minds. They may be other minds in other realms. Um, uh, according to the, the Hindus amongst us, uh, you know, worlds upon worlds without end, you know, and all of them filled with sentient beings arising towards actualization. And Your all statement of them, has never been, never been uttered. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, I, I felt that way when I heard it, you know, and, and, Absolutely. and, and, um, so, so consciousness seeks out other con- consciousness and uh, that's my take on it. Um, and it'll do it broadband. It'll it'll do it through the telephone. It'll do it through art and medium. It'll do it through ESP. It'll do it through every every way it can because it's helping form reality. It's helping reality line up. It's creating, and and that's that's how synchronicities happen. And 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 I found I, I went through a, a, a what they call a shamanic dismemberment, which is basically you're torn apart, your whole life and mm-hmm. you, and every sense of you. It's just. It sucks. It's the most miserable, hellish. <laughs> you awful feel like thing. you've been torn apart and lit on fire and just left to the wind. Oh yeah, and spread around with a rake. You know, oh. it, it's just yeah, it's like that. And 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 out and, and so I went through this whole thing, uh, full dismemberment basically. Ended up, I was surrounded by death and grief mm-hmm. and sorrow and hell. Uh, after having gone, you know, having been on some fairly high waves before, you know, where I thought I was doing pretty good, you know, and that I was pretty aware, and. Uh, Ended up back here on the island and started up the road again, stripped of everything, uh, all my belongings, my, my business, pretty much everything, with the exception of NARCAP and, my, and what I knew how to do. And so I just started walking the road and realized that I was feeling connected to the world even though I had nothing. I felt more connected. I was out in nature walking around and breathing and waking up and going to sleep. And I started asking myself about the moment. How are you doing right now, Ted? Are you hungry? Uh, no. Um, you sleepy? No. Uh, you lonely? Uh, no. So what's up, bro? You know? Yeah, right. It's gone. <laughs> if it's yeah, gone, and, and there's nothing wrong. Yeah, there's nothing wrong. And then at that point, you have a, a platform with from which to view the world with no axe to grind. Right. Absolutely. And, 
And, and then if you don't have an axe to grind, then it's a beautiful thing. Now you're out walking in the world and you come from a place of love. Oh, if you study art, you will find the land of bliss. You know, <laughs> and, and, and that's exactly what he's talking about. It's love that comes from within. And when you're integrated with the world, it feels like being in love with the world. Right. Um, and that integration really knows no bounds or limits. Um, it, it's tempered simply by circumstance and pragmatism, you know, in terms of, you know, how close you get to certain things or how far away you get from other things. So I started walking the world. I started putting my hands in front of me and bowing when I met people just a little bit, you know. Hello, greetings, hands together, mm-hmm. love and respect, you know, just a little bit of that. Touching my heart and acknowledge somebody when I saw them, you know, just making sure that I was actually making a physical practice out of the sensation of being in this space. Meanwhile, doing the freediving and meditating like a maniac. And uh, synchronicities lined up. I, I, I never wanted for anything. I had nothing. My, my car blew up. No way to replace it. Uh, out of nowhere, a friend comes to me and said, here, use my pickup truck. You can have it for a couple of months. Um, That's a lot of the way of how this show actually came together. I, I kept wanting yeah. to do a show like this and various things kept falling into place from outside sources. I needed, I needed web hosting. So my buddy hooked me up with a really cheap web hosting service. I needed a way to record the show. And a friend of mine said, here, here's a program that'll help you get going. I needed microphones and audio equipment. A friend I hadn't seen all walked in and said, here, here's some microphones go, you know, I don't know if you could use this stuff or not. And again, that was one of those things where I kept coming to this Avenue and I kept saying, well, I don't know if I want to do this. And I kept making the right turn. And then finally, eventually I just made the left turn. And that's, you know, now I'm here where I am now. Right. Um, you know, but what, what you're talking about, it's, this is something that I think Wikipedia refers to in its shaman page as the wounded healer archetype to where you have to, you have to be completely destroyed to be able to rebuild yourself. It's kind of like a spiritual form of alchemy for lack yeah. of a better term. Or just a good spanking. Yeah. You know? right. <laughs> just a little reminder, you know, just a good reminder that, you know, we, of what reality really is. Yeah. It's our, it's our consciousness embedded in the present moment. And, and if we're integrated with it, it feels pretty good. I think myself you know? and Lobo have both gone through many situations in our lives that are, are similar to this, where we, we've both walked paths where we've had to make conscious decisions to be able to affect our lives in different and better ways. Yes. You know, so I, I, yeah. we can both relate to what you're talking about here. You know, um, uh, go ahead, Lobo. It's a, uh, I don't know. I, uh, yeah, I'll just say it. Screw it. Whatever. <laughs> Um, you can always edit it out. <laughs> it's yeah, true. Yeah. Um, I have, uh, as you were talking about your free diving and your expanded consciousness, and Roe Ro was talking about what was going on with him, um, I, 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 there's a handful of people that know about it, and you know, screw it, pretty much my life's an open book on the show. Um, when I was 13 years old, there was a place up on top of a ridge. Uh, it's, a, it's Trap Rock, where I live. Mm-hmm. And it's it. You could look out o- literally over the entire town and see. You could see across the town. You could see towns away. On a good clear day, you can see clear into the next county. And I had gone up with a bunch of my friends at night. We were going to go camping up there. It was a regular thing. We'd go up every couple of weeks. And the season was winding down, so it was we were going up for one last hurrah. And I'd, we used to go up to one particular spot. And for some reason. We decided, or I decided, to grab the group and we went up a different path. And it, the place that we ended up on was a complete rock ledge. And there were two or three pines and one lonely sycamore that was all by itself. And we set up camp right in that spot. And, you know, being teenagers, you know, you bring stuff up you're not supposed to, booze and whatever. And uh, earlier in the day, as we were going up, we'd, we'd all been drinking a little bit. And the, the night turned in from, from a beautiful night into 
just this maelstrom of wind and cold rain. And it was it was getting from turning from fall into winter. And my buddies decided that that uh, I was in a bad way and they were going to have a little bit of fun with me because I was in a bad way. And what they did was I was I was freezing and I was trying to stay warm and I was soaking wet and I had passed out. I mean, I was completely passed out into the, into a point where I would have been in a, a considered a blackout state. Uh-huh. And they took me. And I was in nothing but a pair of boxer shorts. Now, mind you, it's about 40 degrees out. They found a cross member that was probably about three inches around of wood. And they trussed me up, crucified, uh, crucified to this sycamore tree about eight feet off the ground. And they huh. left me. But I was, I was looking out over, I was faced out over this rock ledge over the entire town. Oh, for crying out loud. And enough time had gone by where when I came to... I was I was lucid. There was no more. There was nothing left in my system, uh-huh. and I was to the point where I was almost hyperthermic. Uh-huh. And I'm hanging up in this tree, bound to this tree, and I came out of myself through my eyes. And I was uh-huh. over the entire town, and I looked back over the ridge, and I can see my lifeless body. I'm gonna start crying. Okay, I can buddy. see my <laughs> lifeless body on uh-huh. this tree. Uh-huh. And at that point, I realized that. What I'm doing in my life, I need to get away from it because mm. it's, not, it's not doing me any good. And it wasn't mm. – at that point in my life, I wasn't ready to put down the drugs and alcohol. Yeah. But I needed to separate myself from the influences that were around me. Unfortunately, later on in life, I finally got it. Yeah. But it took a few years to get to that point. Mm-hmm. Now, as I, was over, as I was over looking down on myself, I saw my guide next to my body. And it told me to get back into it. Because it wasn't time to leave. Uh-huh. So I came back and I snapped that, that log. I don't know how, but I snapped it. It was in half and I just dropped. And as I dropped, when I hit the ground, I felt brand new. Oh, that's beautiful. But I wish. Oh, Lobo. That's, now there's a gift there, brother. That's I a synchronicity. I, had, I wish I had followed it. While it's I, okay. You, you, you did, though. It was the first first step on the journey. You did. It was, but I, I was torn down and ripped apart and uh, set aflame. Yeah. And just cast out over the entire. Oh. I felt like I was over the entire world at that point. There's nothing more lonely than that feeling. And I, I've been there, brother, and you're back. Okay. And that's that's what the love's about, right? Yeah. It took a long time to get there. Yeah. Yeah. It took a long time to get there. And I've been I've been amongst I've been amongst the others now for near 17 years Mm -hmm. and I see the people in the crowd and I see the clear eyes and I know that there's people that have been out there that have gone through the same thing I have. Absolutely. And have made it to the other side. So when I hear, when I hear people talk about, um, you know, going on a quest or, or being part of a vision quest or trying to find out where you are and they just, they shake their head and they tell me that, you know, I'm crazy or, Oh. I'm dabbling in, in spiritism or, or I'm a Satanist or whatever. I have such a hard time with it. Um, I, I, I always advise against listening to the babbling of crazy people. I, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's still to this day, it gets me. I mean, I married, a, I married a woman who, she knows when I'm off. You know, she sure. knows when I'm out when I'm out and I'm looking for something. And, and, I'm, and when you said, when you expand and there's a dog will hunt, she knows when that dog's out. Yeah. Because yeah. she knows I'm not present in her time space. 
Uh-huh. But she knows when I've come back. Because she's she always she used to say, Where have you been, psycho boy? <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> because it, there's just times where I don't know if I, I I just look different to her, and she knows when I'm gone. I get that sometimes too. You know, it's well, just she's yeah. a little bit know. cooler about it, though. You know, <laughs> you know, it, as 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 we as we go up up these paths, they become more rarefied and more narrow and less less paved. <laughs> you know, as we head up the, these on these quests, and and fewer people, less company. You know, uh, but such beauty and you can trust it, you know, and and I've learned to step out into nothingness and let reality form under my feet as I walk. Right. And that that's what I uh, with that comes no fear. Um, You know, I get that. I've had conversations with my wife similar to that, and she has a hard time. That's kind of a moniker for the way I live my life. I just kind of, it's like you said, you just step out and let the path form below your feet. And she's come from a very structured Christian life, whereas I haven't had that kind of structure in my life where, you know, I have beliefs and things like that, but I tend not to worry about stuff. I just kind of, kind of go and let the path take you where it will. You know, you be cautious of where the path is and what the path is, you know, but you just kind of, I just kind of go with the flow, I guess, on things. And since I've embraced that, I'll tell you, life's become a whole hell of a lot easier for me over the last few years. Ain't that the truth, brother? It really is because there's so much stuff that, that it it just doesn't like my, like my job, for example, why I'm at my job. I don't like my job a whole heck of a lot. I like the job. There's a lot of stuff with it. I don't, I don't like, but once I punch that time clock and I walk out that door, that's it, you know, and there's, there's just so much stuff, you know, there's so much heavy stuff that weighs you down and pulls you down with it to where, you can worry about it, but it just, it just kills you, you know? And after yes. a certain point, you just have to let go. And there's a lot of people around me that just, they just look at me, you know, they, they don't, they don't quite grasp it. It's something, again, it's something it goes back to it's something hard to explain. You yes. know, you just, if you've got your faith in whatever you have your faith in, but you know that you can take care of yourself in the process of it, it it's, it's something that's really difficult to explain, but I know where you're coming from as to where you just walk and let the road form before you. You know, it's kind of. I, a, I, I, I never want. I, I need a ride. I step out, and I've got a ride. Uh, I, I was telling you about staying in my friend's truck, and I, I, at the time, I wasn't even eating. You know, and uh, uh, I'd wake up in the morning. There'd be a bunch of bananas and half a fish in the truck, laying in the bed. Who knows who brought them? But I never wanted for anything. And at the same time, I was doing these same little acts for other people. And uh, noticing when good needed to be done, and making sure or said, and making sure that I said or did it, and and didn't call attention to myself in the process, and just focused on 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 engaging compassionately. And really, you know, if you live in the world as a compassionate being, you keep a you attitude with the beings around you, and then you have you trust that reality is unfolding based on how your consciousness is engaging it, and you keep your ego out of it because you can't get a stranglehold on this. You know, oh yeah, <laughs> and and, and, on, and and it's one of these things where surprisingly enough, if you stop strangling it, it works really well. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I've, um, I've I've learned that. I, you know, it's it's weird when you say that stuff because that's that's the, it's exactly the way that it works. You know, it's right, exactly the way right. that it goes. So 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 people you know people miss their true calling and they miss their their uh, because they're worried about having control over things. Oh, you know, and and you're raised with this not to be in the present. Oh, son, you need to think about the future. I mean, how are you going to retire, Dad? I'm nine. You know, (laughs) (laughs) and it just goes on from there, you know, and, 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 uh, uh, and that stress never goes away and, and it's, it's completely manufactured. 
It doesn't exist. It's not real. And the fact is there's no guarantee. I've got people dropping dead all around me all the time. There's no guarantee you're even going to make it to retirement. And if you do and you prepare it a little bit, that's a good idea. But yeah, <laughs> really, really, what is the concept of retirement for Pete's sake? You know, sit around and do nothing. Well, and, and so, you know, you come back. Personally, I, I live a pretty well-rounded life. You know, I'm writing, I'm writing white papers for for NARCAP, along with administrating and dealing with international diplomacy on the UFO front. For Pete's sake, um, <laughs> and on one hand, you know, and I'm a bum on the beach on the other, and in between, um, uh, I'm a martial artist, and I've got people calling me master and shaman, and I have a responsibility to to take this all in a proper way and be good and careful. Um, I don't like being called master um, unless it's the only way that person can learn because they've got a stranglehold on reality that involves controlling their world that includes having uh, an authority figure in their life that's a master that they can aspire to. Okay, mm -hmm. And I'll play that role for a little bit until I can get them to see it and then pull them out of it. You know, because we're really peers. We're all peers. We're all equals. We're all just we're all present in the moment. We're moving through. Some of us are in our egos. Some of us are in our outer consciousness. And the trick is, you know, find that balance. You need your ego. You need to problem solve. But you got to get that rascal in a can, you know, so he doesn't run your life. And, and then you focus on, on actualization. You know, the Buddha pointed right at the moon. He showed us where to go, you know, right. and we all end up there. And whether we get there in one life cycle or several or through this dimension or another one, we will we end up there eventually. Don't fight it. Just just let go a little bit. I'm basically a mendicant monk. I, I, I'm Kwai Chan King walking the world and, and, and I, I, I want for nothing. You know, it's funny. Um, I've had this conversation with someone not, not too long ago about a, a podcast that they do. I had a very similar conversation with them. But uh, well, to tie all this back together, because we're running on sure. time here. Sure. Um, so this is more or less, I, I would say the conversation we've had tonight would be what a, a shaman's role is in society to teach people to walk that path or how to walk that path. Would that would that make sense to say that way? Absolutely. I carry a code. Uh, my personal code is protect, nurture, heal and act in loving kindness. Good and with life. with and with that, I teach people how to be warriors I teach people how to live in their skin, and I make sure that I, I'm following my own rules, you know, and living as carefully as I can to, to honor that, to be serious. And there are, there are medicine people all around me, Kahuna and Kahu, uh, Kumu, that are, are giving teachings at all, and they're terribly serious people. It doesn't mean there isn't humor in all of this, but, but the reality of it is is that if you live a sloppy life and you don't balance your awareness, you're going to suffer, and the people around you are going to suffer too. Right. So would you say that this is something, just to go on a little bit of the limb here, we do have a lot of people of Christian faith and stuff that listen to this show. Could you apply these practices to a person of another faith if you were a Christian? Would you still be able to apply these practices to someone if you were of Christian faith? Or is this something that you have to let all that go to be able to embrace in that? In my opinion, um, yes, you can be a Christian and do this. Just like you can be a Christian and be a Buddhist because it's a practice, it's not a belief. It's a way to engage and connect with reality. And I talk about synchronicities as the seemingly spontaneous transmission of relevant information. Well, there's a couple of key words in there like seemingly. And, and if not seemingly, then what or who? So this would be the same as saying, I, I don't worry about anything. I have faith in Christ and Christ will get me through. It's kind of the same way of saying it, that, but it, in a different it, form. It, 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 it's certainly reflected in the power of prayer. Yes. When, right. when prayer is done correctly, it's certainly there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's what unites Christianity with witchcraft, 
empowered prayer. Empowered <laughs> oh, you're going to spark a fire there with people. <laughs> well, but, but, but understand what you're doing, you know. Oh, I understand when, what you're when, coming when, from, when, yes. when, a, when a witch spells, okay, they're creating a nexus in reality, and, and if it harmed none, so mote it be, okay? Mm-hmm. And you're praying to God if it's your will, mm-hmm. I could use this help. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I, I see very little difference in this really at, at the root. I'm sure there's some Christian perspectives that would disagree with me and others that would agree. But personally, I, I, I see little difference. That's why I came to this conclusion that there's a fundamental uniting concept under all of this. And it's shamanic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that goes for Christianity, too. I couldn't. I can see it. Yeah, I can see it. I can see the boundaries crossing very, very much. Yeah. Well, Ted, we've had you on here for over an hour now. Um, oh, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank um, you. So your chicken in the background, we said hi as well. <laughs> oh, boy, that's one thing we got a lot of around here is feral chickens. <laughs> Same way in Puerto Rico. You, you, I went to a restaurant and I ordered chicken and they told me they didn't have any and they're running around in the front yard. Right. You, you I'm like, come on, guys. I know you got chickens. <laughs> <laughs> well, my See, grandfather had them too. And some were pets and some were food. So, <laughs> Well, you know, and they're, they're amazingly bright and that's what your awareness will teach you is that all yep. these beings around us are beings. They're not animals. They're True. beings. And, True. you know. Ignore it at your own peril. Uh, (laughs) Well, Ted, thank you very much for coming on. We will be speaking to you again about NARCAP. Um, We appreciate you coming on here and, and I guess, pulling this stuff out of us. So, (laughs) yeah, thank you. Okay. Hey, it's it's my pleasure and and only love for you and your listeners. And if anybody, I'm I'm available on on Facebook. If anybody wants to reach out, I'm there. I have the Warrior Class project that I'm working on, um, along with Everblue Freediving pages as well. So just reach out, and I'm happy to friend you. Yeah, I believe you got uh, the Warrior Class on Facebook now. You just started that page off as well, which reflects a lot of the. uh, the ideas that we've talked about tonight in regards to uh, Bushido and things like that as well, I believe, right? Well, yes, it's, and, and really it's the idea of, of developing a modern warrior class, and we might touch on Japanese martial arts, or we might touch on uh, knightly ethics from, from Middle Europe, uh, all of it. It's about empowering people to be something other than consumers. That's outstanding. Yeah, uh, is there is. anything else you want to give a shout out while we got you on the air? Do you want to give a shout out for NARCAP or anything like that or websites? Uh, or yes, that? yes. Uh, if there are any pilots or aviation professionals within earshot that have uh, had an encounter or an observation with, with something they couldn't resolve, they can contact us confidentially. We'd like to hear from them, if nothing else, to at least have their cases in the files. And if there's something to investigate, we'd like to take a look at it. Uh, but in any case, their confidentiality is protected. So please refer us if you if you know somebody that, that has a story to tell. What's the website for NARCAP? www.narcap.org. That's N as in Nancy, A-R-C-A-P.org. All right. We'll have you back on in the future to talk about that. Thanks a lot, Ted. Looking forward to it. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you, Ted. That was Mr. Ted Rowe. Yes, it was. Yeah, Hawaiian war canoe builder, UFO investigator, New World Samurai Bajita warrior, and level 30 Jedi master. (laughs) Good guy. uh, I think if I were to smoke like four pounds of marijuana, if I did smoke marijuana, he would probably be the guy I'd want to sit down and smoke marijuana with. (laughs) Burning trees. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He's on point, man. He's on point. I think we're going to end up having him on sooner than later for the um, NORCAP stuff. Yeah, we got people knocking on the door already that that were uh, interested. 
yeah, that that I put that up, and that that kind of exploded pretty well on itself. Mm-hmm. So, all right, well, that's pretty much the episode. Um, with the Easter uh, weekend going on, I'm not a hundred percent sure when the next episode's going to get up because it's a holiday week and things get real screwy for both of us with work and family mm-hmm. and everything. So. We're gonna try to have something together. We're gonna. We were actually supposed to do a ramble cast with this episode, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that kind of got hijacked in a good way. Thank you, Jeff and Jer. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Peritopia. So we'll we'll have something back up for you guys real soon. But uh, until then, you know, if you're if you're a Christian, happy Easter. If you're an atheist, good luck. Uh, <laughs> you know all those fun things. Zombie um, Savior Day. Zombie Savior Day. National Respawn Day. That's it. Um, we'll have to redo the. Uh, we'll, we'll eventually. Well, you know what? We'll we'll leave the whole Satan voice message thing for. for <laughs> 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 All right, folks. This is Rojan. Peace out from the D. This is Lobo from Connecticut, and the Easter Bunny, not a fan. Bok, bok, bok. Thank you, Easter Bunny. Bok, bok. <laughs> <laughs>